The reading today is Psalm 127, and it's on page 628 of the Bibles if you want to follow it yourselves. A song of ascent of Solomon. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. This is the word of the Lord. There we go. There we go. Thank you. Right. Let's, um, let's start again. So, our, our mission statement here at Christ Church is that we exist to be and to make disciples who love Jesus as their greatest treasure, learn Jesus as their way of life, and live Jesus for the renewal of the world. Or more simply, love Jesus, learn Jesus live Jesus. And between now and Advent, we're exploring seven values uh, that we want to characterize us as a, as a church. Seven hallmarks that we believe God wants us to exhibit as his people here in Osset. And the first we looked at uh, last week is that we want uh, to be a church that worships joyfully. And the second is like unto it, namely that we pray dependently. What does that mean? Well, I think it means being a church that acts as if everything depends on God. Because it does. <laughs> we live in a time when more than ever we seem to be talking of building and rebuilding. After the turmoil and the disruption of COVID, uh, the government's mantra was building back better. But the church also has been wrestling with what it means to rebuild post-COVID. So uh, John Marsh's new book that I mentioned last week, the subtitle is Reshaping the Church for a Changed World. And this time last year, uh, we looked at the Old Testament books of Ezra and Nehemiah uh, for biblical wisdom about returning and rebuilding. All that to say that the argument isn't about whether we build or rebuild, but how. And it's the how that Psalm 127 teaches us. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, sorry, sorry. unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. So let me just ask you, what word stands out to you in those opening two verses? In vain? Yes. I'd bet my bottom dollar the words are in vain because it rings out clearly three times like a bell. The builders labor in vain. The guards stand watch in vain, in vain you rise early. And that little Hebrew word that stands behind it is shav, which literally means empty or worthless. So the psalmist isn't saying that we can't do anything without God, because clearly we can. To be honest, most of us do it most of the time. 
buildings can get built without God. But that's not the same as what the psalmist is saying. The psalmist is saying that our building without God is empty building, fruitless building, worthless building. The very essence of sound and fury signifying nothing. And so what does it mean to say that unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain? Is there a single house in the whole world, even the great temple of Jerusalem, that is just plopped down from heaven, ready built? No, of course not. The Lord's building doesn't prevent the need for builders. The Lord's keeping watch over the city doesn't prevent the need for guards. The psalmist doesn't say, if the Lord's building the house, then he can sit back and have a Kit Kat. Other snacks are available. Our building or our our keeping watch is in vain when God's not in it. You can follow all the church growth strategies you like, but if God's not in it, a church is not going to grow. Church growth strategies aren't a cheaper alternative to God's blessing. The words, unless the Lord builds the house, stand in judgment over so much of our busyness. Because so often uh, we see a problem and we respond to it without ever including God in it. So we might see the church attendance declining. We want to build bridges to people in the, church, in the community who aren't yet Christian. So we think, I know one way to do that is to hold a coffee morning. That's a classic church thing to do, uh, to try and build out links. Let's have a coffee morning. Is God in that? Well, he might be, but have you asked him? How would we know if we haven't asked him? We're assuming that we know what God wants. The psalmist says that something well-meaning done for God is empty if it's done without God. We build in vain if it doesn't come from God, but from our own clever ideas or imaginations. We build in vain if it doesn't need God to make it work because we can do it in our own power and strength. We build in vain if it doesn't participate in God's eternal purposes for creation, but only looks good in the here and now of life on earth. So if we don't hear these words from Psalm 127 as a, as a challenge to us in our normal way of doing things, then I don't think we're hearing these words right. These words are profoundly countercultural because instead, uh, because they say instead of hitting the ground running, uh, as we tend to value so highly, We must really learn to hit the ground kneeling. Some of the greatest works of God are done through people who dare to do nothing. People who are prepared to stand in the counsel of the Lord instead of rushing around like headless chickens, mindlessly doing what other people expect them to be doing. People who fear God more than they fear man who are more afraid of distrusting or dishonoring God than what others might think of them. Godless building will not endure to eternity. Lately, I've been reading the biography about the 19th century Irish missionary to India, Amy Carmichael. And one of the significant parts of uh, scripture to her was uh, were these words from 1 Corinthians 3. 
where Paul speaks of his ministry as that of a wise builder who seeks to build on the true foundation, which is Jesus Christ. And he goes on to explain, if anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. Those words were were seared into Amy Carmichael's heart. And she was asking herself the question, and what I, is what I'm doing now going to survive the fire? Is it going to last through until eternity? Or am I only building something that looks pretty here and now? But when the big bad wolf comes, the house will be blown over. It's in eternity that all our work is judged. And the words of Psalm 127 uh, are a challenge to us, I think, because they make us realize that for much of the time, we live as practical atheists. Whereas atheism is the outright rejection in a belief of God, practical atheism is much subtler. It's the living of our daily lives without reference to God, as if he weren't there, as if he, he didn't exist. So we can... It's possible to go to church ever so dutifully, week by week by week by week by week, only for it to make absolutely no real difference to our lives Monday to Saturday. We can live exactly the same life as our non-Christian neighbor, and yet we say that we believe in this God. That's practical atheism. You know, I, I, I think about this in my, myself just uh, over a you know, number, of, number of years. The number of church meetings I've endured that could have gone exactly the same way with a group of people who didn't claim that they believed in a crucified and risen saviour. How easily we leave God out of the equation of our lives. Unless the Lord builds the house... The builders labor in vain. And so the question I think this psalm encourages us all to consider is, do we actually believe that? I don't mean believe it up here, I mean live as if that's true. And how might our lives, our, our families, our church look different if we did really believe and therefore lived as if only what God does stands firm? Surely would make prayer the foundation of absolutely everything. The great 19th century prince of preachers, Charles Purgeon, once said this. The condition of the church may be very accurately gauged by its prayer meetings. So is the prayer meeting a graceometer, and from it we may judge the amount of divine working among a people. If God be near a church, it must pray. And if he be not there, one of the first tokens of his absence will be its slothfulness in prayer. Amen. Preach it, brother. So how are we doing on the graceometer? In Psalm 127, God stands over against our human pride. Look, teacher, what massive stones... What magnificent buildings, Jesus' disciples said of the great temple in Jerusalem. But what did our Lord say? Oh, yeah, you're right. It's wonderful. Yeah, it will stand firm for all eternity. No. Do you see these great buildings? 
Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. Why? Because the Lord didn't build the house. Or as the risen Lord said to the church in Ephesus, if you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Or as Jesus said it in John's gospel, apart from me, you can do nothing. God is glorified in our praying because our praying is both the open admission that we can't do anything without Christ and that Christ is abundantly able to meet all our needs and more. And so if we believe that Jesus is telling the truth, that apart from him we can do nothing, then surely the most important thing in the world is for us to make sure that we do nothing apart from him. Surely it would make prayer our first response instead of our last resort. Surely it would encourage us to seek the Lord in everything and for everything. Surely it would serve as an imperative to bathe our PCC meetings in prayer, our children's groups in prayer, our outreach in prayer, our worship in prayer, absolutely everything we do in prayer. Psalm 127 strongly suggests that only those efforts undertaken as part of God's purpose in the world has lasting value. So our great task is to discern God's purpose in the world. And how do we do that? In prayer. Dallas Willard writes, prayer is talking with God about what we're doing, thinking and doing together. It is co-laboring with God to accomplish the good purposes of his kingdom. And so the goal isn't merely to develop a prayer life, but a praying life. A prayer life means that we, we set aside blocks of time to pray. And that's good and that's necessary, but what we really need is to cultivate a praying life. A life saturated with prayerfulness, in which we seek to consciously do all that we do, with God. So as we get, on the, uh, get ready to go on the bus, we're praying for an opportunity to share our faith with someone. Or as we respond to a difficult email at work, we're sending up one of those arrow prayers, God, please give me wisdom to know how to respond. In other words, we seek to make the whole atmosphere of our lives one of prayerful attentiveness to God. It's not just, I've done 10 minutes of prayer in the morning, tick, tick, tick that off the list, it's done. But having God involved in the whole of our lives. And here's the great paradox of a Christian's work. We're not competent to build for God's kingdom until we see that we're not competent to build God's kingdom. Do you get it? In effect, Psalm 127 comes along and says, as long as you think you're a qualified builder, you're a cowboy builder. But as soon as you know you're not qualified and must rely on him, that's your qualification. Richard Foster writes, in prayer, a real prayer, we begin to think God's thoughts after him, to desire the things he desires, to love the things he loves. So we just don't know what God wants unless we pray. Because 
frankly, our hearts are a terrible compass. Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. So if I go by what I think God wants, and not by praying about it, just by what I think, chances are I'm probably going by what I want. Now, if Psalm 127 comes to us as a challenge, I hope you see it also comes to us as a huge encouragement and comfort. Because do you see what's on the other side of unless the Lord builds the house? It means it's not all up to us. It means it's not all up to us. I'm not in charge of growing this church. Praise the Lord. You're not in charge of your friends and relatives and and family members becoming believers. Praise the Lord. We're not in charge of the re-evangelization of the nation. Praise the Lord. Isn't that good news? And that's why the beloved of the Lord can sleep. Because they know it's not all on their shoulders. Pride leads to prayerlessness. Because if it's not God who does it, if it's me who has to do it, then I don't have time to pray. I've got to get on with doing. But the psalmist says rest is the gift that God gives to those who trust him to build the house. Christopher Ash writes, the anxiety evident in verse 2 is the worry that comes from believing in our hearts that this is really our project and our responsibility. If that is the case, then I cannot really afford to take a break, let alone sleep. I must get up early and go to bed very late, and in between I must toil away trying to bear the crushing burden of responsibility. And one of the fantastic things about this psalm is that it warns us that we can do gospel work in a way that denies the gospel. When we try and do gospel work in a way that says it's all up to me, I've got to make things happen, how does that communicate a gospel of grace in which it's God who does stuff for us? Sleep is an expression of faith in a God who never sleeps or slumbers. Rest is a token of trust that in any good work that we do, it's God who's at work behind it, and he doesn't take a break. And so, hear this, the balance then. Believing builders do build. There is work to be done, but they also rest because they know their work ultimately depends on God. Now, I I want you to know that I am preaching this sermon to Steve Harvey, as I do with every other sermon, first and foremost, because Steve Harvey has a proud, stubborn, unbelieving heart that often acts as if unless Steve Harvey builds the house, the house isn't going to get built. And unless Steve Harvey can justify his existence through his work, he probably doesn't have any real value. I don't know if anyone else can relate to that, but that's true for me. But guess what? Jesus had no pride. Therefore, he would often withdraw from the hustle and bustle to be alone with his father. People would come to him wanting to, uh, wanting to go and heal more people. And he'd say, no, I need to, I need to go away. 
And he prayed. And he knew his why. And he had a particular sense of his vocation. This village, but not that one. Only to the lost sheep of Israel. And because he knew it wasn't all about him as well, he trained up apprentices to work with him. So can you see, begin to see the link between prayer and sleep? When we know who we are before God and what God wants us to do, we can rest in peace. We work hard because we know we've got a job to do, but we don't have to overwork because we know that the fruit of our work comes from God. When we know our yes, we're liberated from the tyranny of busyness to say no to the things that distract us from our core purpose and identity. And that's true for us as a church as well. If we believe that God wants us to love Jesus, learn Jesus, and live Jesus, then if what we're doing doesn't further those ends, then we need to rethink whether we do them, or at least we need to rethink how we do them. What is God calling us to do? Again, we only know by listening to him. Now, I know we've spent most of our time just unpacking the first couple of verses. So how do verses 3 to 5 about children as a heritage from the Lord fit into this theme of building through dependent prayer? Here's what I think the answer is. And the key is that word heritage. Because the word uh, behind our English translation is the normal Hebrew word for an inheritance. And what is an inheritance? An inheritance is something that's passed down from one generation to another. In other words, it's something that lasts, something that endures. In the patriarchal culture of ancient Israel, the Uh, A family name was passed down through the line of sons, and a son was thought to be the living embodiment of the father. But the key here is that children are a gift from God. He makes your name, your legacy, live on. He does. Are you following me? What I think the psalmist is saying is that only what comes from God endures into the future. But I think we can also read these verses on a spiritual level too. Children in the church family are a heritage from the Lord. Offspring, a reward from him. I think the fact that we have children in the church is a sign that people have passed on the faith to a new generation. And yet, I think there's also a challenge here. Because verse 3 goes on to say that offspring are a reward for him, from him. When we seek God, when we depend on him, he provides for us into the future. Now, just in our, the life of our own church, this is an area I think we do definitely need to be praying into. Uh, we, we did the, the uh, church family questionnaire um, through September, and one of the, one of the findings was that Two-thirds of the church family who who responded to that questionnaire are over 60. And we love you. We're so grateful for you if you're in that category. But are we seeking God for a legacy that's going to last beyond? A legacy that's going to last longer than 10 or 20 years. Prayer 
is the primary way that we express our trust in God. It's the cry of the bankrupt, empty, helpless human heart saying, I can't, but you can. And the scriptures lead me to believe that we can expect nothing good from God apart from depending on him in prayer. And that's why we started these two new prayer meetings at Christchurch, Cornerstone Prayer at 9.30 every Monday morning, and the well, the first one of which is this afternoon at 4. Gathering to just seek to root ourselves first and foremost in God, depend on him. So please, please join us if you can for for either or both of those. I really believe that uh, the most important thing we can do as a church is pray. Please never despise prayer also if you're uh, someone who's who's in the older category not able to serve physically in many ways don't say well all I can do is pray don't ever say all I can do is pray prayer changes everything I remember a dear old man of God called Jim who was in his late 80s Uh, His wife had died several years before, uh, and he became increasingly unable to care for himself. So he moved into a local nursing home, and I I went to to visit him soon after he moved in to see how he was settling in. He said he was settling in pretty well, but he wasn't really interested in talking about himself. He wanted to know what was happening at church. He said, tell me everything that's going on, because while I can't be there in person, while I can't serve as I have been, I can pray. So I brought him the new sheets and all the letters and got him everything. And he prayed, and he prayed, and he prayed. And God bless him, he went to be with the Lord about a year later, a prayer warrior to the end of his days. Do not despise the power of prayer. If all you can do is pray, praise the Lord, because that's what matters. And so, Lord, uh, my prayer uh, from Jim's example is just, may the Lord make me like him if I should live to be in my late 80s. I want to be a prayer warrior to the end. So we're going to pray in a moment. Sorry, I'm just going to... Before we do that, I just want to introduce a couple of a couple of things just to help us uh, as we seek to be a church rooted in prayer so so one uh, there are two 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 notebooks that I want to kind of introduce to us so one uh, is a book of answered prayer because we believe that God does answer prayer uh, and a couple of weeks ago uh, Danny where are you Danny there you are uh, shared his uh, his testimony of how God had answered prayer and so if you've got testimonies of how God's answered prayer, come write it in uh, and share it. And uh, it would just be, we'll make it available so that people can just read through it and find encouragements for themselves how to pray and that God does, is in the business of answering prayer. Uh, and then we've also got a, a book for people to be able to, to write down prayer requests as well. I know uh, kind of before COVID you had a, a similar kind of thing. So we're just going to, but if you want to write down prayer requests, uh, it won't be used during the service. What we're going to do is we're just going to have it available in the, in the prayer chapel after the service to pray through the things that are on there. Have it as a continuous ongoing thing for people to be able to pick it up and pray through. And then hopefully a lot of those can go in the other book as well. So there are just a couple of things. Uh, I want to just...
try, try, try and introduce to help us uh, just become that more prayerful people more and more. So let's pray together. Lord, would you have mercy on us in our unbelief? Lord, our, our lack of prayer uh, is, is so often rooted in our pride, in the, in the foolish thought that we can get by by ourselves. And so we pray that you'd forgive us. Well, I was reading just this morning in, in, in Psalm 109, uh, David saying, I'm poor and needy. And Lord, I pray that each of us would have that sense of being poor and needy and being completely reliant on you. And so may the words of this psalm, I pray, remind us of our constant need for you. But they, may they also remind us that you are the God who never slumbers or sleeps and that this world is yours and you're at work in it and therefore we can rest in you. Lord, you know that some of us here probably need to be jolted out of our, our prideful self-determination. And other of us, others of us here need to hear your gentle voice calling us to rest because you, not we, are the king of the universe. And so, Lord, I pray, come by your spirit, minister to each of us according to our needs, and make us a people of dependent prayer, whose very dependency on you gives you all the glory. Amen. We're going to uh, take a few moments to respond to what we've heard and to consider our own need.